I'm glad for the miracle working power of God. However, when we talk about miracles, we tend to talk about them limited to the context of the video. That when the supernatural power of God is released, eyes will be opened, ears will be unstopped, the dead will be raised, the sick will be healed. But unfortunately, that's only half of the story. And Christians become discouraged when they have exercised faith and something contrary to that happens. When you read in scripture, you have to acknowledge that the supernatural power of God sometimes causes the seeing to be blind, sometimes causes the hearing to be deaf, and sometimes causes the living to die. Because God is about the building of his kingdom. And I've watched Christians in despair because they've prayed and didn't get the answer they want. So here is my primary premise this morning. You should not pray unless you're willing to receive his answer. And it may not be according to your agenda. The, 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 the heart that's in us should be one that primarily wants to submit to God. Some years ago, it actually was 1975, some of you don't um, have any personal knowledge of that period of time, but Lanny Wolf wrote a song called Whatever It Takes for My Will to Break. Anybody here remember that song? I'm sure a few of you will. Anyone else remember that? I want you to listen to these lyrics. It was a really, really popular song. And compare it to the culture that we're living in today, the Christian culture that we're in. There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree, and it whispers, draw closer to me. Leave your world behind. There are new heights to climb, and a new life in me you will find. For whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. And whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'll be willing to do. Take the dearest things to me, if that's how it must be to draw closer to you. Let my disappointments come, lonely days without the sun, if in sorrow more like you I'll become. I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain, that's what I'll be willing to do. Oh, for whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. Now, I know that's a depressing thought, and you may be saying, I didn't come here this morning to hear that kind of a story, but over the years, I've watched people despair in the darkness of midnight when God is doing some of his greatest work. And we need to be ready when we pray that we will submit to the will of God. For example, how many of you would like to see revival come to America? I'm not sure we'd be willing to pay the price that that might require. Because sometimes it's a breaking down of a nation that's required before that nation turns to God. We pray for family members to come to Christ. And we want them to be happy and blessed, and we want to be happy and blessed. But the reality is that some people need their will to break before they'll repent. And when that happens, it can make your life as uncomfortable as their lives. 
And so really this morning I intend this to be an encouraging type of message, but an encouraging kind of message that will carry you through the dark times and see God at work because weeping does endure for the night. And if we ignore that, we'll never experience the joy that comes in the morning. I can see I've gotten down to three supporters so far. We're starting in 1 Kings chapter 17 when God stops the rain. Elijah is one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament. He's one of only two people that lived on planet Earth that did not experience physical death. In Judaism, Elijah's name is evoked, invoked at the weekly, um, the weekly rite that marks the end of the Sabbath. And Elijah is invoked in other Jewish customs, including the Passover Seder. He does also make some important New Testament appearances. The Bible tells us in Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, two of the most important characters in Old Testament history. When Jesus is dying on the cross in Matthew 27 and he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. They say he must be calling out to Elijah because there was a belief in Judaism that Elijah must first come before the kingdom would be restored to Israel. And then in James chapter 5 verse 17, listen to these words. Elijah was a man just like us, or the King James says, subject to the same or like passions. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain upon the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. He was a man like us, human in every capacity, struggling with the things that you and I struggled with, but God used him to see a nation come back to God. And I believe that we can learn much about the power of the supernatural if we'll study the miracles of Elijah. And to reiterate the premise, we all want to see eyes opened and ears unstopped and the dead raised. But when you read in the New Testament, sometimes revival comes when people die. Sometimes revival comes when somebody is smitten with blindness or struck with deafness. What I'm saying to you is, do we really have the courage, do we really have the maturity to say, God, whatever it takes at Berean, God, whatever it takes in our country, God, whatever it takes in my family, I want to see revival happen. You say, well, I don't know that I want to go there. Listen, I'm not praying for anything bad. When I pray, I don't say, God, send a famine. I'm praying, send abundance. But if someone, I just want you to hear this piece. In your darkness, it does not mean necessarily that you have failed God or that God hasn't responded. That sometimes it's in the midnight hours that God is doing his greatest work so that you can rejoice in the morning. And without the midnight hours, there'll be no morning of rejoicing. How many are hearing me this morning? 
yeah, I didn't want to preach this, but I couldn't go anywhere else, so here we go. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah bursts onto the prophetic scene. And in some cases, what we understand here is that some miracles are intended by God to be confrontational rather than comforting. Sometimes God is getting our attention. Some days are evil days. And we just have to be ready to deal with that. Some days are evil days. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 16, Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Israel is in days of evil when evil seems to triumph. In the ninth century before Christ, the kingdom of Israel that was once united under Solomon divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Omri, king of Israel, continued the policies of Jeroboam, contrary to religious law, and encouraging the building of temple altars for sacrifices and appointing priests from outside the family of the Levites. What he's doing is he's breaking down Orthodox Jewish faith. Instead of coming to the central place of Jerusalem to worship together and only submit to priests that were from the tribe of Levi, he decided that that stronghold of faith had to be corrupted. And the way to corrupt it was to divide the unity of the body and move them out into separate worship centers to let them do anything that they wanted to do and to appoint priests that weren't called by God. Omri achieved domestic security by a marriage alliance between his son Ahab and a princess named Jezebel who was a worship of Baal and was also the daughter of the king of Sidon in Phoenicia. And that union did bring to the nation prosperity and security for a time. But Ahab goes a step further than his evil father Omri because once you break the unity, once you degrade orthodox biblical theology, you can begin to substitute in its place false worship. And he establishes a temple built by Ahab for Baal with a large entourage of priests and prophets of Baal and Asherah into the country. Now think about this worship system that was built around faith in God and loving God and loving people. What did Baal worship consist of? And without going into all the details, there are two primary components of Baal worship that was devastating to the culture. Do you know what the number one one was? They sacrificed their babies. 
in order to worship God and to appease the gods, they would place their babies alive on the, on the um, blazing hot arms of an idol named Baal and watch their babies burn to death. When a nation doesn't protect its, um, those who are, cannot defend themselves when it doesn't defend its babies. Those are evil days. The next thing that he did is established temple prostitution. If you study Baal, the, the um, structure of Baal worship foreshadowed the coming of Christ. It was a God who had a relationship with a woman and gave birth to a son. The devil, knowing what might happen, was trying even in those days to destroy the plan of redemption with an ungodly substitute. It was also an agrarian culture rather than a shepherding culture. And to appease the gods of the seasons, they felt like or believed that the gods could be encouraged by sexual activity among the worshipers. In the temple in Corinth in Paul's day, there was a temple to Baal that was filled with a thousand prostitutes, male and female, to encourage worship. Worship had become sensual. It had become sexualized. And so you have this degradation of the sacrament of marriage called intimacy. One man, one woman for life is now being expressed under the guise of worship. And babies are being burned at the altar. And Ahab did that. And began to worship Baal. Is anyone hearing me now? Those are evil days. Those are evil days. Not every day is beautiful. Not every day is good. But I think when we read some of the stories in Scripture and we don't understand the backstory, we don't understand why God responded the way he did. But what we have in jeopardy is a degradation of sexual activity from the way God intended it to be experienced. We have a destruction of innocent life, a moving away from everything godly, and a degradation of God's plan of redemption. He did more evil than anyone that was before him, and it is possible to provoke God to anger. Some days are evil days. Some days are evil days. The impact on evil on the land cannot be ignored. Just go back to Genesis and the fall of Adam and Eve from the garden. What happened? The land was impacted by evil. The ground began to produce thorns and thistles. Man would have to work by the sweat of his brow. And women would have incredible pain in childbirth as a result of the sin of mankind. The third seal of Revelation talks about a time of extreme famine. The Lord says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, 
what have you done? The brother, your brother's blood cries from the ground. And also in the book of Genesis, the entire world is flooded because the evil of man's heart was only, the, the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. Joel warns of a day that the palmer worm would be followed by the locust, followed by the canker worm, followed by the caterpillar until nothing was left on the land. What I'm trying to say to you this morning, and please, those of you who have been here for a while know that this isn't characteristic of the kind of message I preach, but I think it's one that if we ignore, we do to our own detriment. People are fallen and need a redeemer. Fallen people will create a fallen culture. And our culture is becoming increasingly evil. How evil has it become? Abortion is no longer an issue in most Christian circles. Sex outside of marriage is winked at in most evangelical churches. Doctrinal faith is no longer a value as long as we have a good experience. And if you do any research at all, you will discover, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there is an intentional, specific strategy in the media to move us to embracing ungodliness and normalizing it in this generation. I'm saying to you, we are living in evil days. We're living in evil days. And evil always has a payday. Second, I want you to understand though, there is always a pathway to revival. There is always, <laughs> there is always a pathway to revival. God doesn't ever look at our world and say, that's beyond me. It's over. He could have destroyed the world in Noah's day, but he kept a remnant. He could have destroyed the world when Jesus hung on the cross, but he preserved the remnant. God always has a plan. In Elijah's day, he could have destroyed the world because of Ahab, but he didn't because he had a prophet and he had a remnant that had not bowed the knee to Baal. And because of that, God would implement his plan. The biblical story is entirely about redeeming God's creation. We are called to participate in that purpose, and God will pursue lost people even when we don't. I talked to a pastor this week, and they're having an argument. Well, and it wasn't a I was talking with a pastor about another man who's just been elected to a board in a church. And they're having a discussion, and I want you to hear this, a discussion with the board members that are all elderly, and I don't have any problem with that at all, but one of the elders said, I don't like the music. And he said, I don't care about young people. I've paid the bills for 50 years, and what I want should matter more. That's a church that needs to die so that God can raise up new life. Is anybody hearing me? When church becomes about us and what we want rather than are we reaching lost people. I've shared this story over and over. 
But I'll never forget the Sunday we were trying to transition. I got tired of watching young couples and, and young adults come in and try our church and then walk out. You say, well, they ought to be more mature than that. They should be, but so should my generation. <laughs> Do you know there are a lot of times we put food on the table that our kids would eat rather than what I wanted? We're leading a transition. We, we wanted to reach people. And I walk out of the auditorium and an elderly gentleman meets me at the back and just blows me up over the worship service. Just beats me up over it. And you might, might not believe this, but I do have an occasional fleshly impulse. I would tell Ron Blair, at that time I thought 20 bucks in a bottle of Ripple, even though I didn't know that phrase. I was so angry, I went back into my office and sat down. Cooled off, came back out, and he was still sitting there. I gave him a chance. But he stayed. And I said to him, are you trying to make me leave? No, no, I love your preaching. I don't want you to leave. I said, then listen to what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reach your grandparent or your grandchildren. I'm trying to reach your grandchildren. Look around and they aren't here and if we're going to reach them, we're going to have to change and reach them. His demeanor relaxed. He looked at me and he said, I know you are. And that was the last time he ever challenged me on that issue. Because he saw the purpose of the church differently than he had before that exchange. How many are hearing me right now? This is about what is the heart of God? The heart of God is lost people. Jesus came not to make you comfortable, but to redeem people who are lost and dying and going to hell from eternal destruction. And that's what drives the heart of God. The Bible is a book of redemption. Cut it anywhere, anywhere and it will bleed red because it's filled with redemption truth. And that's got to be the passion of the church. And so much the more in the days of evil that we're living in. God always has a plan of redemption, a plan to reach lost people. Now, God does make a promise, and we pray this all the time, and I'm concerned that we have no idea what, what we pray means. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes are open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father did to do all that I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. That's a promise to Solomon. 
And when he says, as David walked, how many of you know that David didn't walk straight all the time? But David always repented and came back. And sometimes it was harshness that brought him to repentance. But here's what God goes on to say. We don't read beyond that. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I've given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot evil from my land, which I gave them, and I will reject this temple, which I've consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all the people. And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and this temple? People will answer, because they've forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt and embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought disaster on them. I believe that God wants to heal our land, but he can't heal our land until our churches return to the foundations of the word of God and the purposes that we have been instructed from scripture to pursue. That's why we do so many things that we do here is to stay anchored to the word. God always has a plan forward, but it's not because you're cute. It's because of his word. We, I got to tell you the story. We just had a kids conference that Pastor Matthew led just for our kids, brought them all together, brought in a speaker. And the speaker is going to do memory verses. I was so encouraged by this. And if you've ever been to a kids event, you know memory verses will have pictures to describe each word and you have to guess the word and then be able to say the whole verse. So he put up the first one and said, What's this picture? Someone raised their hand and quoted Acts 1.8. And so well, what's this? He's, and they said, we just quoted the verse to you. And every verse that he put up in pictures, someone, these are little kids, quoted that verse to him. And then he said to them, I'm glad for this. It, it shortened my time of presentation because that normally takes a while. I've never been anywhere where the kids knew the verses and quoted them like that. What do you attribute it to? Whoever said it was right. JBQ. Because if we're going to reach the next generation, we've got to get the word deeply sown into this next generation. How many are hearing what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's the only tool, but you've got to have one, a place of discipling and training and establishing on biblical principles that this is what matters because God cannot reach an evil world until his church is empowered and grounded on the word. The name assemblies of God will not help us if the presence of God isn't here. We have to have his presence. God always has a plan. A plan to reach a lost world. The problem is, are you ready? I've already warned you. The pathway may be one of pain. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there'll be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. One of the things that the Pentecostal charismatic church fails to acknowledge 
is that sometimes God uses pain to bring people to repentance. Elijah could have said, if you'll turn to God, your coffers will overrun with gold. If you turn to God, you'll never be hungry again. If you turn to God, but you know where those offers were made? They were made in the wilderness when Satan was tempting Jesus because you can't mix his blessing as a means to repentance. His blessing abides on obedience and sometimes it's pain that brings us to a place of repentance, whatever it takes. And here's the problem. <laughs> here's how I wish God would have done this. It's not going to rain for three years. And God's people will have plenty of water. But all of you who serve Baal will have no water. Wouldn't that have been cool? But watch this. Sometimes the people of God suffer under the consequences of an evil culture. The rain was withheld from everyone because the church in the Old Testament was somewhat responsible for allowing Ahab to create the culture that he created. And the believers had to repent before Ahab would be broken. Sometimes. So I'm going to ask you. I, I hate this. But it's what God's been working me over. Do you want national repentance more than you want to raise next year? Do you want national repentance more than you want the security of your home? How much would you be willing to give up for God to bring our nation to its knees? While we're shouting for prosperity, maybe what this land needs is, is a lack of rain for a while. And what if, I'm not prophesying anything, I'm just trying to challenge you this morning. But when we, watch, when we watch Russia move on Ukraine, what if the reason we don't find the United States in prophecy is because something will happen in this land that will break us and will no longer have influence? What if nuclear warheads were to drop on our major cities? Would you still trust God or would you cast off your faith? Would you say, whatever it takes? Pastor, are you asking for that? Absolutely not. And if you're praying for nuclear warheads to strike our cities, go to another country. I'm not telling you to pray that way. I'm saying that in evil days, when God breaks the will of an evil culture, the consequences of that sometimes impact those who live in that culture as well. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't know what's coming. I do believe we're about to enter into the beginning of sorrows if we haven't already. And I'm telling you, telling you with a broken heart, our nation cannot continue on the trajectory it's on and expect to enjoy the peace and prosperity that God has given this great country. Are you willing for that drought to come and keep your faith in God when you pray for a family member to come to Christ, are you willing to walk through what that means 
When you're praying for your um, neighborhood, are you willing to trust God for whatever that means? Or are you only willing to say, God, reach them if it includes blessing? Because God's plan of redemption, of renewal, sometimes involves a drought that they all experienced. But here's the good news. God protects his people in times of judgment. God never forsakes his own. He says to Elijah, this is going to be a rough ride. This is going to be a rough ride. So leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've ordered ravens to feed you there. God puts Elijah in his witness protection program. You will have food and water provided. And you would say, yes, thank God for his provision. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I believe the ravens are going to fly in with a silver charger filled with some of the greatest foods that this world knows. I don't know how he's going to do it, but those ravens are going to be something. I can't hardly wait for my first meal on wings. Well, I don't know. Uh, water from the brook? Yeah, I'm good with that. But water from a raven? Do you know what a raven is? That's not a parakeet. <laughs> Ravens definitely were not kosher. They were off limits to Jewish people. Because they're scavengers. Ravens are God's cleanup system. I don't understand. You want to see a miracle of God's creation? How can a bird eat that mess on the road and live? That is a weird animal. You see something that smells so bad that you can't hardly stand to smell it and certainly not to look at it and it's no longer recognizable and one of the ravens is saying, come, I found a banquet table. <laughs> and they're ripping off, I mean, and how many of you know that ravens don't have hands? They rip at it with their feet but mostly with their beak. That's the delivery service? God, I'm not telling you how to do this, but I don't think you've thought this all the way through. Uh, do, you realize, do you realize how unclean the provision system, the delivery system is? They make a feast of roadkill. I, I, can, I can I tell you a little thing that creeps me out? <laughs> I love shaking hands with people. But there are some things about shaking hands I don't like. Like, I, I don't like the dead fish handshake. You know, when you grab their hand, then it just kind of melts. And I really don't need to know how strong you are trying to break my hand, you know. There's a normal brother-sister grip. You know, we should practice that. But there's one, Pastor Nathan, that I hate the worst. And, th and that's when you shake someone's hand and your hand sticks to theirs. 
How many know what I'm talking about? First thing I think is, where has that hand been? And I, if Steve Webb were here, I'd have him bring me a bottle of sanitizer right now because the thought of it is creeping me out. If I were Elijah and that raven flew in, I'm going to be thinking, where has that beak been? What has it touched? You have to trust. So I'm not suggesting to you that God's provision will be the Hilton Hotel with room service. It might be by a brook, but he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens in this culture. It may not be the way you would choose it, but he will always give you um, what you need in order to survive. He will take care of his own And that may be by going to heaven. When trouble comes, we'll be provided for. But ultimately, protection is spiritual and eternal. And martyrs were not delivered in this life, but they were delivered to a better resurrection because God will provide for his own. We still live in a broken world. Decisions of evil men will impact our lives So our job is to reach the culture with the good news. Righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sexual sin will bring judgment on your household. Abuse of children will bring bring judgment on your household. And the blood of thousands upon thousands of infants cry from the ground in this land of the free and the home of the brave. So what should we do? I do believe it's important for us to shape the culture. Somebody is gonna write the laws that we live under. Somebody is gonna impact the framework of our culture and we need Christians in all forms of the culture from business to medicine to academics to politics. We need Christians in those realms, but most of all, we need a church to rise up today and say, in these evil days, we will commit our efforts, our money, our lives to reaching people for Jesus Christ. The culture will change when hearts change. And so I want you to just think with me this morning. When we pray for revival, are we willing to say whatever it takes? With family members away from God, are we willing to pray whatever it takes? With a culture in degradation or a church in lukewarmness, are we willing to say whatever it takes? Because sometimes God's supernatural power is in your face. And it's through drought, sometimes that revival comes. I don't expect anyone to run the aisle. But Jesus did say, 
before you go into battle, count your soldiers. Before you build a house, count the cost and see if you have sufficient to build. And I'm convinced, church, that the days are shortening before the Lord returns. And I do believe evil will break loose on this land prior to what we would call the tribulation period in ways that will challenge us and cause us to reevaluate our own faith. And so this is a call to rise up, men of God. Rise up, women of God, and say, we've been planted here for a purpose. And you will build your church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It will be a church that is triumphant. And God, I'm signing up this morning that I want to see your supernatural power, whatever it takes. I will stand in your army. So this won't be a thrilling altar call. I'm just going to ask you to stand and say, God, turn the searchlight into my heart. And am I willing to be an Elijah in evil days? Am I willing to take the stand that you've called me to stand? Am I willing to be that voice in a, in a dying generation? God, search our hearts this morning. Let him search your heart.
Lord Jesus, I ask that you would search our hearts and that we would rid ourselves of self-centered, self-seeking prayer that focuses more on our comfort than in the conversion of the world around us. Give us a passion for the lost and a willingness to cooperate with your plans, not our will, but yours be done in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen, amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. Well, that message should last another 10 years. (laughs) But I'm serious about if we want to be the voice of Elijah in this generation, we have to be willing to submit to the will of God and trust him in the nighttime as well as in the morning. Amen. God bless you. Glad for all of you. Glad for this church. Thank you for your giving, your faithful support. It helps us continue doing what God's called us to do. Greet someone and bless them before you leave today.